You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. I'll tell you a funny story. This is, well, I try to fix this. Um, At Reality San Francisco, if you don't know me, sorry, my name is Riz. um, And which you'll find out as I teach the Bible right now, uh, I use my hands a lot. I kind of move a lot. I hope it's not too distracting. Maybe it's more engaging than distracting. I was a youth pastor for a long time, and so it kept high schoolers and middle schoolers, like, awake. But I was kind of moving a lot when I was teaching at Reality San Francisco so much that somehow, like, the mic that I'm just kind of like using now kind of wiggled itself apart, just kind of fell apart. <laughs> I don't know, but then I had to just switch to this, so it's not just here. It's kind of just, I probably just move a lot. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> sound good? Okay. Well, good to be with you and good to be back. It was fun to be gone, but really glad to be home here back in Hawaii with you at Reality Honolulu. And... Um, What I want to do today for our time in the Word of God is actually to piggyback off what David taught about last week a bit, uh, kind of in a different way, but to reinforce the idea of remembrance as we enter into this new year and new season. Again, each year, this, this is something that the Lord impresses upon my heart in a really good way, to not forget the things he's done in the past before I move too quick ahead. And it's something I shared with the Reality family back in California the last few weeks. And I wanted to share with you today because it's been pretty formative. And it's been a really powerful and good reminder for me. And I think something like kind of practical and tangible we can take into the new year. Um, But before we do that, let me just pray for our time in the Word of God. Good? Sound good? All right. God, thank you so much for... Just this space and place that we get to gather to be with you and the people of God. God, the last few years has uh, really shown us that this, not all, this is not always promised. Times change, things happen, and we can't always gather in person or through technology or whatever it is in the same way. And so, God, we stand here today, we sit here today, we're thankful for the gift of being able to gather And be with you and worship and hear from you in your word. And God, we ask that you'd speak to us. Each of us come in with different stuff going on. Like we have different issues. We have different worries, different stuff. We have different hopes and aspirations for what this year may bring. Maybe there's big things that we're working on that we're hoping that comes to pass. And God, we ask that you'd meet us right where we're at this morning. We invite you into this place. Come, Lord Jesus, speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, right, with new year, with any new year, comes like new expectation. It's obviously something we talk about, we joke about, like what's your new year's resolution, or what are you hoping to be different this year, or what are you going to do different? And for some of us, I think, because I somewhat know your life, or at least a lot of you, maybe you're praying like really big things you're praying. Big changes or big things to happen. And for all of us, I think across the board, we're probably wanting God to come and intervene and, and save and change like this hurting and broken world that we just sit in. 
whether it's specific things in our personal life or big, like, worldwide, global, national things. We like, God, come and change and save and redeem and help us and fix all this. Or it even could be, you know, in, in our friendships or in our church community. Um, like, right, we're in a new season and a new year, and we're hopeful and expectant for all things to happen. And although there's an excitement about all that God may do, right, if we think ahead and we think of our personal life and, or our family or our church or the world as a whole, and right, there can be this like excitement where it's like, hey, fresh start, clean slate, new year, God, do this. I think in all of us, there most likely is still like fear and anxiety and stress associated with all of that. And maybe even questions of, like, God, how are you going to do all this? Like, I'm excited for what you can do or you might do, but I think a lot of us are like, but God, like, how are you going to do this? And even, I think if we're probably honest, a lot of us are maybe even doubting if God, like, can or is going to lead or provide or guide and care for us in the ways that we need. I think both those we hold at the beginning of a new year. I think a lot of Christians do. God, I want you to do all these things. But then there's still, like, this kind of broken humanity that we're like, but, like, can, can you or are you? And I know there's things in my own life, right, that God's called me to or spoken to me about or leading me into. And even though I have faith to, like, believe that God can do these things that he's said or whatever, I'm also, like, like a realist. And I tend to be skeptical. And I'm just life and people and stuff and, right, I, I have the, I, I, God, you can do anything? But, like, Really? But really, are you going to, or really can you do that? And, and for me, my internal dialogue, like we all have these internal dialogues that we do with the Lord. For me, like God will, I don't know, I feel like God is leading here or speaking there or doing that. And my internal dialogue with God is, wow, God, that's really cool. And I like what you're saying. But no offense, I don't know, if, I don't know about this one. You know, God, I love you. I've seen you do a lot of things, but, and it's cool that you want to do that. I just, I don't know about this one. And again, we all, we all do that with this internal dialogue with the Lord or something that's going on or something we read from his word. We're like, ooh, that's awesome. Can that really happen? I don't think I'm the only one that, that sits in that tension. And in light of thinking about those things, because we all have those things, you put in your specifics, but in light of these things, um, what I want to do today is, is really to encourage us by looking at some of the life of Abraham and some of the words of Moses as examples for us to glean from. So if you're aware of um, like really any of the Old Testament, you hear about Abraham quite a bit. Uh, he was named Abram and then his name changed to Abraham. He is the patriarch of the Jewish people. Um, you know, many times it's, you know, the, you're oh, you serve or you follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Abraham was the start and the formation of the people of Israel, of a whole nation. And if you want to 
learn more about Abraham, you can go to Genesis 11 through 25. Those are the chapters of Scripture that we get a lot of his life. But what's, I think what's interesting is one of the first things that we see and hear of, of, this, of the interaction between Abraham and God is what we call the Abrahamic covenant. It's a really significant covenant or promise that God gives Abraham and speaks to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, this is what I'm going to do in and through you. And what's kind of, I think what's so funny is, for me it's just interesting, maybe it's not funny, I don't know. But Genesis 12, 1 through 3 is where we see the Abrahamic covenant. But before then, we don't really have much like context of who Abraham is. Like before that, Genesis 11, there's this huge lineage of people to get from, you know, Noah and, you know, well, Adam and Eve through Noah to Abraham. But there's not, like, we don't know who Abraham is. And then all of a sudden, what happens in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, which I have on the screen, this is what God says to this guy, Abram, or Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I'll bless you, and I'll make you famous, and, I, and, I, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So at this time, Abraham doesn't even have a single kid. And for 30 years... After, he still wouldn't have a kid. It's not like he has like this huge 12 kids and they all have offspring already. And then God says this promise. And so it's not hard to believe like, oh, I have a big family and a lot of offspring. Like maybe God can do this. He has no kids. He has no promise of kids. It would be a long time actually before he even have kids. And so it's crazy for God to even say this. And again, if you've been in church or you heard Bible studies or teachings about Abraham, the main reason we use, why we use him as an example of faith or uh, why you would bring it up is that he had a lot of faith to believe God in light of his circumstance that God would do what he did despite having to wait upon that promise. But what God would do, which we all know, is that God will, would build a nation from nothing. He would do what he said. But for me, why Abraham's waiting upon God's word to come to pass, uh, why it impresses me maybe even more than like that faith, is that if you think about like the context of the biblical timeline of Abraham, he didn't have a ton to go on when it came for proof and examples of God's character being tested and proven. Like, there wasn't all these people around him in his life of all these testimonies of how God had moved in their life. Yes, we know that we have this lineage. But we don't know many things about that lineage. Previous to uh, Abraham, we have Noah. And there was a lot of faith, but also there was a lot of like weirdness attached to Noah. A lot of faith, but did a lot of weird things too. But for Abraham, hearing this promise from this God that he doesn't really know, he doesn't have a lot to go on. He really doesn't. Like, think about where Abraham stood in the story of God. If I was Abraham hearing this, I'd be like, who is this God that speaks to me? 
why would I believe you? What do I have to go on to tell me that you can even come through on half of this? I don't know about you, because again, maybe this is the realist or I'm skeptical, but if Abraham came to me as his friend and said, hey, hey, Riz, there's this God that said that he's going to do this, make a nation out of my family, which I don't even have. What do you think I should do? I'd be like, maybe don't believe him? Because at that point, you're gambling. Because what, what, what proof, what evidence do you have that God's going to do that? You are just, you don't have it. Because think about it. It's, it's one thing, like in your life, if you know someone really well, a spouse, a best friend, someone in your family, if you know them well, if they say something like kind of crazy to you, like, hey man, no worries, I'll do this thing for you. And you're like, really? But if they've done all kinds of other things before, you're like, yeah, I kind of believe that they could probably do that. You've built trust. Or there's been evidence of things they've done before, and so you believe their word. If some random person comes to you and says, hey, I'm going to do this for you, you'd be like, get away from me. I don't know you. Why would I ever believe you? And why would I ever trust you? Because I have nothing to go on. I think about Abraham with that. At that point in the biblical timeline, Abraham doesn't have this, this like a bunch of evidence of God's faithfulness. And so in my opinion, man, Abraham had to have a whole ton of faith to trust in God to be able to wait and watch God do what he, which he ultimately would do. But here's why I want to make the connection from Abraham to us this morning. Here's, here's a connection. When it comes to you and I, here now, waiting upon God to answer, maybe it's the prayers you're praying, or the way he's going to provide for us this year, or how he's going to lead you, or how he's going to birth new things in you. Or even on a larger scale, right, when we, when we want to see renewal and God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Hear me out. I don't want to sound heretical. So hear me out. We don't actually wait in the same place that Abraham did. We actually don't need the same type or the same measure of faith that he did. Hear me. Because unlike Abraham, you and I, this day in the biblical timeline of God, we wait from a place with a mountain worth of evidence of God's faithfulness. It is far from gambling on God's character. Like we, here and now, 2023, looking at millennia worth of how God has moved and provided and cared for his people, we have a mountain worth of how God's provided. And unlike Abraham, like we do have a great cloud of witnesses that have come before us. We have countless stories of how God has always provided how he's always rescued, how he's always led, and how he's always cared for his people. The question is actually, when has he not? Because I would, I would beg to say that's actually really hard, if not impossible, to find where has God not? Do you see how we're in a very different spot than Abraham was? Abraham, I honestly was like, dude, your faith was crazy. 
And again, I jokingly say, like, dude, you were gambling upon God. You had no, he, shouldn't have happened. But for us, now, if, if someone came to me with that promise, hey, God, like, I feel like God is asking me or calling me or he wants to do these things in my life. What do you think? I'd be like, well, why wouldn't he do those things? My answer to you would be very different. Because I would say to you, there's actually 66 books in this one book. And you know what it's filled of? Story after story after story, how God has shown up to his people. I would say, and if, if, this, isn't, if this isn't enough, <laughs> then I would say, well, there's 2,000 years of stories of Christians like you and I on a global scale where God has shown up since this was written. Right? Like, I mean, for a moment, let's think about, like, if you track Israel's history from Abraham, you know, through Israel's story, through the prophets and the prophecies, and where that all crescendos is the advent of his son Jesus, which we just celebrated these last few weeks, who once and for all would save and redeem and rescue us, right? Jesus is the culmination of God's faithfulness to, his, to, to, to creation, but if you were to look at all of that and more in our own personal lives, if you were to compile all of that, what would you see? You would see that God has always showed up. God's always been faithful. God has always been good. And it even gets better. Because if you look at the course of human history, every people of every time have actually actively tried to, you know, disobey God or fallen away or they've been not faithful to God. And you know what that's done? Hasn't changed God at all. Our unfaithfulness cannot change his faithfulness. Paul's letter to his young prodigy, Timothy, in his second letter, 2 Timothy 2.13, he reminds Timothy of this. Even if we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. It is a part of who God is that he's faithful, and we can't even stop that. There is no person, no empire, no president, no CEO, nothing that can stop who God is. God is faithful. And so as we look into this new year, and all of us, right, maybe it's unanswered prayers we still have. Maybe it's whether God will provide for us or how he'll lead us. Again, maybe there's new things. I'm sure all of us are like praying for these new things. I want to encourage us this morning that we don't await these things like Abraham in the dark. But rather, we wait from a place with a mountain worth of evidence of God's faithfulness. Will the timing be different than you want? Almost 100% of the time. Because the timing's wrong doesn't mean that God's not going to still show up. It's just that you put that, time, you put that expectation on God where like, God's in control. He knows what's best. And we have to remember that. Like, the timing's going to be wrong. What you want, when you want it, not going to happen. I don't mean to down her. I just mean, like, right expectations. If, you, if you've walked with the Lord more than one day, you're like, oh, yeah, his timing is different and also better than ours. But, but church, I, I want us to hear this. If you don't, like, get anything out of all that, if you're taking notes, 
receive this phrase. Like, take, take this with you into this year. It's that God's past track record is our future assurance. What God's done in the past is our future assurance that he'll, he'll, do, he'll continue to provide and continue to care. Continue to lead and continue to speak to us. And when we keep what God has done in the past for us and for his people near to us, what, well, what that does is it actually emboldens us and empowers our waiting. When we're waiting for our, that prayer to be answered or we're wanting the job, our job to change or we're wanting our life stage to change or in that waiting, if we remember that God has actually always shown up and why now would he not? If we keep that near to us, it will embolden and give us confidence to just like wait upon the Lord well. Otherwise, honestly, guys, you know how it goes. We'll just be frustrated and we'll be impatient. And I mean, you know the story, like how it goes. But again, if we were to fast forward from Abraham to Moses in Israel's history, uh, Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he would command Israel, the people of God, to do whatever it took to not forget what God had done for them. And I'm going to read this, and if you can tell, Moses is pleading with the people of God. And so hear it as Moses pleading with you today, and me today. To not forget what God has done. Don't forget what he's done in the past. It's so important because there's things coming and, and there's challenges and there's obstacles coming that if you forget what God's done, it'll really hurt you because you'll forget and you'll stumble and you'll fall and you'll depart and you'll be discouraged and you'll doubt. And Moses is like, don't forget. So look at, look at his language here in Deuteronomy 6, uh, 4 through 12. Moses speaking to the children of Israel, he says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving to you today. What he says is, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. And then he says, be careful. Sober warning. Do not forget the Lord who rescued you from the slavery in the land of Egypt. Again, in their context, he's giving these practical examples. For us, it would be like post-it notes on the mirror, reminders, you know, weekly things that we do, morning devotionals, journaling, whatever it is. Like Moses is saying, do everything you can all the time. Did you notice the frequency? It's like, do it when you're at home, do it with your kids, train them when you're, when you're on the road. Like, <laughs> he's literally like, don't forget. Don't forget. And I wish I could stand here today and tell you that the nation of Israel 
took heed of Moses' words and didn't forget. But if you were to do a study, <laughs> I mean, David mentioned this last week, but if you were to do a study of like the Old Testament on like the, the pivotal points where Israel fell and departed and lost land and lost promises, it's when they forgot. It's when they departed. They forgot what God had done. And unfortunately, Israel's story over and over would be that they failed to remember all that God had done for them. If they only had held on tightly and it was at the forefront that if God freed us from slavery, from the land of Egypt, and he provided us 40 years in the wilderness and he led us and he gave us the promised land and over and over and over, if they just held that tighter and in front of them, it would have been so much better off. But they didn't. They didn't recall that all God had done and said, and it caused them incredible harm as a nation. It was devastating. It was actually devastating that they didn't remember. And I think it's easy to read the Bible, or for me here today, to talk about like almost like bad of like, look at them, they did that. But if we're honest, don't we do the same? Like it's really easy to point the finger at Israel in this story. But I think we're more like them than we admit. Right? How quickly we can forget how faithful God has been. Or how he's resurrected all of us from all kinds of messes that we ourselves have made. Right? That, that he's set us free from all kinds of things. I know for me personally, like as a human being, for me... How I, how, how I forget quickly, because I'm not immune to this. I'm right here with you. It's for me, it's, it's busyness. It's, for me, it's always being perpetual, force, uh, 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 forward-facing. Like always looking ahead and planning and what's next. And I'm not saying any of that's bad, but I am so forward-facing. And also... Uh, I like to juggle many things and multitask and make the most of my time and probably like a lot of you. And for me personally, it's like church planting and being a pastor and many things and many people and kind of a mile a minute and also naturally I like to be the life of the party and if you're wondering, I am an off-the-chart Enneagram 7. So if you're in the Enneagram at all. Super extrovert, connector, What? This is kind of, I am who I am up here, if you know me. But you get it. Even though that's who God made me and he uses it, all of this, though, even though it may be good, can cause me not to keep God's past track record in the forefront of my mind. Always thinking of new things and what's ahead and out there. And instead of, and so what happens is, instead of being like super confident in God's faithfulness always, what happens is, is like a problem will happen or something happens and or there's an obstacle or whatever it is. And I, and I quickly go, oh no, the world's over. Or you know what? Oh, no, ah, this, oh my goodness, what's happening? Like I'm, I am quick to be like, oh, the world is, you know what I mean? I'm quick, I'm quick to say, man, I don't know if you can do this, God. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I laugh saying that because I think if God's seen it, he's like, really? Like, you're worried about that? Don't you remember what I've done? 
And I don't, I don't know for the, you, guys, you guys that have like young kids, but it happens a lot um, with your kids, right? Your kids are, I don't know, fearful or scared or worried about something. And what you do is they say it's like a, a new food or an activity or riding their bike again, and they're worried about it. A lot of times you're like, wait, you don't need to be worried because you remember all the other stuff you did? Remember all the other foods you tried? Or remember when you did this before? You're like constantly reminding them why it's going to be okay. Because they've done this before. I think that's like God sometimes at us. He's like, wait, you don't, no, don't worry. Remember? Like I'm here. I've always been here. That, that's actually not a big deal. I think, I think that. And this might be very funny to you, especially if you're from Hawaii. Actually, if you're from or not from Hawaii, you'll, you'll laugh at this. Why Hawaii has been good for me? There's a lot of reasons why. I'm not from Hawaii. I'm from California. And why Hawaii has been good, but also challenging, is, is just in, a, in the sweetest way now, how, how chill and laid back and slower pace. It can be. I remember like the first week I moved here. And this is such a funny story. Where I was on H1, and, you know, California is, well, there's a lot of things about California, but one thing is, like, California driving is, like, dude, fast, quick, no aloha, nobody, I'm not letting anyone in, so much honking, like, it's opposite of Hawaii. Think Hawaii driving, which is amazing, honestly. I just was in the mainland for two weeks, I'm like, I can't, I can't be here any longer. There's literally zero aloha, so much honking, no one's ever letting you go, Okay. No, that's never happening. They're disgusted. If you let a car go in traffic, disgusted. Here, love it. Part of life. I remember driving on the H1 for the first time. And obviously speed limits are slower. But then I saw on the H1, I said, wait, maximum 55? There's a minimum of 45? Why is there a minimum speed limit on a freeway? I just I was dying because, you know, California, it's like, how can we stack, how can we go fastest and stack as many meetings throughout the day as we can to maximize it? And I remember laughing so hard because I'm like, people, sometimes I think people here are like, you have to go faster on the H1. Like, that's what the, I feel like when I see 45, I think, why did you put that? It must be like, you have to go faster. You can't, you're going too slow. You have to go faster, which has never been said anywhere else in the world. I honestly think that. That's what, and so I'm just telling you why this has been good for me because obviously that forces you to slow down. Yes, that can become road rage, I understand. But also for me, that's not actually what's happened to me. It's actually been good because it's caused me to slow down. I actually can't do as much. I actually can't do as many meetings. I actually have more time to just think, ponder. Also, Again, these are like good things now, though. But for me, I'm just telling you how it's been an adjustment. I wasn't used to the, um, like, from, when you're in California, again, this is just my experience. So I, when, you see, when you're busy and you see someone you know, you don't stop to talk. You, it's not that you're rude, being rude, but you're just more like, I got stuff to do, hi. But here, it's like, no, no, no. You gotta, you gotta build in talk story time. Like, you can't see someone you know and just say, like, I'm busy, I gotta go. You're like, disastrous to your life. Again, this is from not being here. I'm just, like, speaking in for a second. 
but, but that's been so healthy to be like, oh yeah, there's throughout the day, there's times where like there's like forced pauses, forced slowness. For me, knowing that like I'm busy and I, I'll do, do all these things at once, the, the, the pace, the slow, the pauses, the more human interaction, the more just being with people, doing less. Or, and, and embracing it and being okay with it has been so good for me spiritually. Not only just like it's good to slow down and it's good to be less busy and it's good to just be more present with people. For me, Hawaii has like been so good for me spiritually because it's just like slowed me down to try to be less busy. And what that's done, it, it, over the last five or six years as we've, as we've lived here, it really has been this gift where I've experienced God's promises more. Because again, I'm just like embracing and loving now like Hawaii and all that it is. And for me, that's just a practical way that it's helped me be more present with God. It's been, it's been a gift. Uh, it's been really good to slow down and do less and be okay. And I know that it's not just like not being from here. Even if you're from here, it's so easy to get caught up with every single thing. If you don't make time, there will be no extra time. Your life will be filled with responsibilities. We all have them. We have to pay the bills. We have to do the job. We have to write that email. We have that kid or we have that spouse or we have those friends. You have to, like, your life will be completely full and busy, whether you're from here or not. And if you don't intentionally slow down or if you don't intentionally make time with the Lord, it's not just going to come. So I want to challenge us to slow down and be less busy this year and be more present, not only with each other, but with the Lord. But you may be sitting here hearing this, and it may sound, it may, may sound good, and hopefully you're even encouraged. But you may still be in a place where God hasn't come through where you've wanted him to. And if I sat down with each of you today, and you were super honest to me and I was honest to you, we would, we would all have stuff that we're like, we were just, we just really are discouraged even, or we just thought God was going to do this thing. But we're still waiting. I think each of us in different ways, some bigger, some smaller, we're still waiting. We're still waiting for God to come through, and in our heads we're like, we know he will, but we're like, but he isn't. Or I feel like he isn't for me personally. And so, and maybe like Abraham, you're in this season. He was in a 30-year season where God told him this thing in Genesis 12, and it really didn't even start to come to pass for 30 years. I don't want to like downer on your dreams right now at all. Be like, 30 years? But I just want to use this as an example that he also, I'm sure, was feeling like, man, God, like you told me this thing, and like I'm not seeing it come to pass. And I kind of want to end this morning by reminding us another really important thing. Is that waiting is really good for us. There's so much work that God is doing in us when we wait. When to be honest, he might have not been able to any other time. Because we were too busy. We weren't even asking. We weren't even listening. I know that I can look back at my life and busy seasons 
And I'm like, oh, I wonder if I like missed out on some stuff that God had for me because I just didn't even ask him. I didn't even hear. I didn't even trust him. But if I look back in my own life, where did God speak to me most? Where did he do the most work? It was in hard seasons of waiting. <laughs> by far, by far, it was seasons that were not comfortable. It wasn't in my timing, but that's where God met me most. Because I was most desperate. I was most trusting. I was most wanting to hear him. I was most dependent upon him. And I want to encourage us this morning, this morning to maybe view our seasons of waiting a little different. Rather than wishing your current season was over, what if your season of waiting, what if it was an opportunity for you to press into the Lord and you have space and time to just reflect on his goodness and his faithfulness? I, I don't... I know for all of us, when we're in a hard season that we don't want, what is our prayer? God, get me out of here. When is our prayer? God, help me wait longer. God, I so badly want to wait longer. I want, the thing I want, I actually don't want to have it. I want to wait longer for it. That's never our prayer. That's never our prayer. God, you're like, if you want something to change and it's not happening, it's, it's never Hey, God, you're actually sovereign and in control, and you're actually in control of seasons and times and calendars and when you give things and when you don't. God, do in me all that you want in me, and when you're ready, then give that thing to me. I don't think many of us pray that way, myself included. Because when we don't want to be in a season or we're uncomfortable or we're not happy or when we don't have the things we want, we always are like, get me out of this, change this, stop this. But what if the waiting season that God has you in, has me in, what if it's an opportunity to reflect upon all that God's done in the past so that each of us can have more assurance for what's to come in the future? I'm going like to change our mindset maybe of like how we view seasons of waiting. And again, this is what I want us to, to, to hear today is that there's always purpose in what God does. And there's a reason why perhaps your prayers aren't answered yet. Or there's a reason why maybe that thing that you want, you're not getting. Or he hasn't done that thing yet. And what I want to say is that God is not trying to punish you. He's not trying to hurt you. He's not trying to withhold a good thing from you. That is not the character of our Father. You can check that. That is not what he does. But what I do want us to know is that what we do see from his character is that there is work that he's doing in the waiting. That in the economy of God, nothing, no season, no time, no pain is wasted. And, we, and as humans, we like to say that phrase, that was a waste of time. We do it all the time. When we wait. When we wait for something that we feel like should take less time. We say, that was a waste of time. Like, it happens a lot, if you actually think about it. 
we have expectations, or there is expectations set. Like, wait, I thought this was only going to take, and it took that much time. Oh, it was a waste of time. I could have been doing all this other stuff. Well, actually, I want to say in the economy of God, there is no, no time wasted. There is no season of waste. And I think a lot of us fall into the lie of like, because you're not getting that, your career or a spouse, oh, sorry, worship team, so many songs. The wind has blown all your songs. Anyway, pray for you second set. <laughs> Easily distracted, too. That's me. <laughs> that could be another sermon. But when God has us waiting, take this home, too. When we're waiting, God is working. There's no such thing as a waste of time. Everything in this world wants to tell you, yes, it is. If you only by this age had that, but because you don't, you're somehow less. Who told you that? Not God. We do it all the time. It doesn't matter what life stage you are. It doesn't matter who you are. We always think, what shoulda, coulda, woulda, grass is greener, waste. And God's like, nothing that I've done for you is a waste. Nothing that I will do is a waste. It's all in my timing. I have everything that I want for you. I'm he right here. I've always been faithful, and I always will be. And as we enter the new year, I want, I want us to be, like, encouraged and hold that tight and know that our waiting upon God to do whatever you want him to do or whatever you think he's going to do, we don't do it without hope. But we actually wait with confident expectation. We wait with... A, the assurance that God is going to do what he said he would do. When has he not? And again, as dark as the world gets, as long as maybe the season we're in may feel, whether that's personal or on large scales, or even when we feel as though we are not seeing God move, what we can do is we can turn our eyes to Jesus and we can remember what God did through him, that he sent his only son into a broken world to draw a fallen people to himself, that his kingdom's come and it's coming and it will fully be consummated one day, right? We know the end of the story. We're in the part of the biblical story. We know who God is and what he's done and what he will do. And our God is the same today as he's always been. Again, his past track record is our future assurance. So as we enter into this time of worship this morning, instead of, like, I pray and the worship team comes up and we sing, totally get it, you may have to go to the bathroom. Totally get it. Go to the bathroom. But if, you, if there's any way, don't leave early. If again, you can. I'm not going to, like, take tally or anything. I'm not. But I just want to, like, remind you of the importance of these few songs after the sermon in our church at Reality. We call this the second set of worship. Three or four songs every Sunday after the Word of God. And why we do it isn't just for a bookend. Isn't just like, because it's good. You should do it. It's a time of response. It's creating space and place for all of us to respond to God in how He spoke to us. And today is a perfect time to take 15 or 20 minutes before we leave. It's not that long. And to like, whether that's 
kneel upon the carpets up here, stand, raise your hand, sit in your seat, but to be flooded and recall and remember all that God has done for us. And even the lyrics of the songs will do that. It will recall how God saved us and redeemed us and freed us and been faithful. This is the time to like flood our hearts and minds with God's faithfulness. Because what will happen is you'll leave, I'll leave, we all have stuff to do. Worries, anxiety, stress, emails, get ready for the week, blah, blah. Before we get into all that, let's remember who God is and that he's faithful and that he's going to do what he said he would do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today and thank you for just the really encouraging reminder and like just even remembering and recalling all the ways, even in our personal lives, where you've met us. You've saved us. You redeemed us. Like you've changed us. We once were far off from you, but you've brought us near. We once were living in darkness. Now you've brought us in, and now we live in the kingdom of light. Once we were without hope, now we have a hope and a future. Once we lacked joy and purpose, now we have all the joy and all the purpose in the universe because of you. And so God, as we sing these songs and as we pray and worship together and spend this time together, I pray that we would make the most of it. That we would be flooded with all the ways that you've been so kind to us the people you've put in our life, the way you've provided for us emotionally, financially, physically, how you've healed us, flood our hearts and minds with all these things today. And help us to be a people as we walk into this new year, like full of like expectance and, and really hope and confidence in you and your faithfulness. So God, we love you. We thank you and we pray for uh, you to meet us here now. In Jesus' name, amen.